Let us join together for our call to worship this morning. Let not sin control the way we live and, let, and not give in to sinful desires. Offer ourselves to God who through his mercy has brought us from death to life. Our opening hymn this morning is Crown Him with Many Crowns. come to God with our joys and concerns that we've lifted up today and <clears throat> we do we want to give thanks for those who so graciously give of their time uh, to serve God and to fellowship together we give thanks for that we th give thanks to God for the beautiful weather today and we just pray that God will be with us in our struggles that God will continue to guide us through the days ahead but as we come to God with our prayers today, my encouragement is that we can come to God with anything. There is nothing too big or too small that uh, we can bring to Him. He cares about the big things, but He cares about the small things that concern us as much as the big things. He wants us, to, and sometimes that concern is that He get us to change our minds and our hearts around so that those Little things don't bother us so much, or the big things don't bother us so much. But He cares for us, and He listens to all of the things that weigh upon us, and He will do whatever He needs to do to make them right, either through changing us or changing our circumstances. 
And so we can give thanks to God for that in these days. Let us sing our prayer hymn as we prepare to bring our joys and concerns to the Lord this day. Gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we come to you today, your grateful and thankful people, for this beautiful day. We thank you, Lord, for those that you have given a heart to serve. And we thank you for opportunities to serve with them. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you have given us in these days. We thank you for your protection and love. Lord, at this time we pray for those who are sick and hurt and in need of your healing. You are the great physician, and we entrust them to your care. Lord, we lift up to you those who are grieving and mourning, Lord. We pray that you would give them your peace and comfort. Holy God, we come to you praying today for the many people in the world that do not know you. Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us of our sins, that we might be broken and reshaped into your image, that we might go into the world, and that those that do not know you might see you at work in our lives, that through that they might be drawn to you and be saved. Lord, we pray for our doctors and nurses and military and law enforcement, our peacekeepers, our peacemakers, and our healers. We pray that you would guide, direct, and protect them, but most especially let them know that they are never alone, but that you are with them. And we pray for all who serve, but especially the friends and family of these churches. We lift them up to you. Holy God, we pray for our leaders in government, both in our state, nation, and throughout all the world, that you might give them wisdom from on high to do your will until that great day comes when all kingdoms shall Lay down their rule and that your son shall reign and be all in all. And that he will bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we just praise you. We pray your blessings upon us in our worship today. Help us to be your lights in the world. And gracious God, we continue to pray to you this day. The prayer that your son Jesus taught us to pray so long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. wait to do my children's message with Delia and Charlie until we get Sandoval because I forgot to bring with me what I needed but uh, I've got a little puzzle thing that I'm going to to use in that so it should be fun so let us get into our scripture this morning we're going to be looking at the book of Romans chapter 6 Paul writes to the Christians in Rome and he says, What are we to say then? Shall we continue in the state of sin so that grace may increase? Certainly not. We died to sin. How can we still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized in the Messiah Jesus were baptized into his death? That means that we were buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as the Messiah was raised from the dead through the Father's glory, we too might behave with a new quality of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
This is what we know. Our old humanity was crucified with the Messiah so that the bodily solidarity of sin might be abolished and that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. A person who has died, you see, has been declared free from all charges of sin. But if we died with the Messiah, we believe that we shall live with him. We know that the Messiah, having been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has any authority over him. The death he died, you see, he died to sin once and only once. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, you too must calculate yourselves as being dead to sin and alive to God in the Messiah Jesus. So don't allow sin to rule in your mortal body to make you obey its desires, nor should you present your limbs and organs to sin to be used for its wicked purposes. Rather, present yourselves to God as people alive from the dead and your limbs and organs to God to be used for the righteous purposes of his covenant. Sin won't actually rule over you, you see, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Don't you know that if you present yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you really are slaves of the one you obey? Whether that happens to be sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to final vindication? Thank God that though you, were, you once were slaves to sin, you have become obedient from the heart to the pattern of teaching to which you were committed. You were freed from sin, and now you have been enslaved to God's covenant justice. I'm using a human picture because of your natural human weakness. For just as you presented your limbs and organs as slaves to uncleanness and to one degree of lawlessness after another, so now present your limbs and organs as slaves to covenant justice, which leads to holiness. When you were slaves of sin, you see, you were free with respect to covenant justice. What fruit did you ever have from the things of which you are now ashamed? Their destination is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and enslaved to God, you have fruit for holiness. Its destination is the life of the age to come. The wages paid by sin, you see, are death. But God's free gift is the life of the age to come in the Messiah, Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A popular movie trope regarding a clever way to get out of prison that pops up in westerns uh, and uh, also some of the uh, samurai western movies from Akira Kurosawa in the 50s and 60s and also the Pirates of the Caribbean movies that are more recent goes something like this. A person who wants to escape from prison or capture either very convincingly pretends to be dead, or they know how to get access to the prison morgue. Then, once they get into the morgue, 
Again, either through playing dead or by sneaking in, they climb into a coffin alone, if they were pretending to be dead, or with another occupant, if they happen to sneak in. Prison regularly takes the coffins out for burial, and once buried or thrown into the sea, the escapee then digs out or swims out and gains their freedom. I have painstakingly described this scenario that is played out in several movies because in an odd way it offers us an illustration for how Jesus' death and resurrection saves us from sin and death and by extension the rest of creation as well. Paul gives this description of enslavement to sin in the book of Romans. In one part of Romans, he describes it like this. He says that I do what I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I know I should do. He can't do what he knows he should do and in a way he's describing it as an expressway track leading to death. And sadly, all of creation, not just people, are bound in this awful mess. Elsewhere, Paul explains that even if we do not violate a known rule of decency, that we are still spiritually enslaved, that our natures are still bent towards sin. We may hold back our sinful desires due to the fear of consequences, but we are messed up in the head and the heart nonetheless. And it is clear that this enslavement will result in death. It's like a terminal illness. In chapter 6 of Romans, Paul describes it literally as enslavement, that whatever you obey, that is what you are enslaved to. And he says if you obey your sinful desires, or even give whim to them, that you are a slave to sin, and that path leads to death. Have you ever wondered why our country seems to regularly get caught in the same kinds of muddles over and over again? Have you ever wondered why it is that political leaders, religious figures, and celebrities keep getting caught in the same bad behavior over and over again? And have you ever wondered why we keep acting so surprised when it happens? It is called sin. We all have it, and we're all a mess. To expect otherwise is foolishness, and sadly, it's no small thing either. People have their lives ruined and their lives taken over sin. And not always our own either. Sometimes it is the sin of an other person that destroys us or destroys other things. With that understanding, maybe we can start to appreciate why Paul refers to sin as a form of brutal enslavement. And he explains that the obvious and apparent 
end to this path, as I mentioned. The only solution is death. The only way one that is enslaved to sin is ever free from it is death. But if we die ruled by sin, we have no hope of ever being reunited with the Father. That is, unless someone found out a way to cheat death. Jesus has no sin. But he goes to the cross and he dies for our sakes because of our sin. He dies to break the hold of the enslavement of sin. Because as Paul said, when one dies, they are no longer subject to that master, but they may experience the consequences of being ruled by that master. If we die being ruled by sin, we experience eternal death. But Jesus was not enslaved to sin, and he died breaking the hold of the enslaver, sin. Now what Paul tries to do here is explain that when we profess faith in Jesus, Paul says that in some cosmic way we are united to Christ in his death. In other words, we die with Jesus to sin. And if we die with Jesus to sin, then like Jesus we are no longer ruled by it because again Jesus had no sin. He could not be ruled by the slave master. We in essence are seen as going through his death with him. That is why conversion is so dramatic, whether it's in a single moment or a series of moments. It doesn't matter how you came to Christ. It is always a big deal in a person's life. It is a literal dying to oneself and saying, Jesus, I'll go with you anywhere. If we die with Jesus, we are free from sin. And that's why I gave that illustration at the beginning of the prisoner escaping from prison by pretending to be dead because in a way, this is like pretending to be dead, to get out of prison. If the prison master thinks we're dead, he thinks, well, okay, send them on out. If we died with Christ, then we're sent on out with Christ. But here's the thing, Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus rose because he is God in the flesh, God the Son. He was not subject to sin. He couldn't stay dead. His perfect life made death's hold over him void. Death is the result of sin. Jesus had no sin. Therefore, even though Jesus died, he comes back to life. Now, if we died with Jesus, we also rose with Jesus. We are already living our new lives here and now, and they will go on into, into eternity. But now we are truly free from sin. We've escaped the prison. We were sent out with Jesus because sin thought we were dead, and we come back out alive on the other side. 
Now we are truly free from sin. And that is why as a Methodist, sanctification is so important. Will we mess up? Sure. We have yet to be fully made new. We need to spend a lifetime of following Jesus for that. But we should no longer be ruled by sin. We are now free to live the way that Jesus calls us to. He empowers us to resist the desire to sin. It's impossible on our own. But we're unstoppable when we are raised in Jesus. As we move closer and closer to Pentecost, let us consider how we can live the resurrected life now, free from the bondage of sin, so that we might be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. When we put our faith in Jesus and in his death and resurrection, we are cheating sin and death, taking a ride out of the prison and the coffin of our old lives, and Jesus stands waiting on the other side to usher us into freedom. What are you going to do with the new life that you have now that Jesus has brought you out on the other side? Amen. As we conclude our service today, our closing hymn is Christ is Alive. Gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we come to you today, your grateful and thankful people. We pray, Lord, that you bless us as we go out into the world this week. Help us to remember that we are alive to you and dead to sin, that you might work in our lives and continue to perfect us, that we might not live to the old life but live for you. We praise you, ask that you go and be with us and bless us until we meet here again. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen, and go in peace.